When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. EJ, special show, special episode, very special day. So I got myself a brand new special bottle of a Y45. Uh, I discovered I have a, uh, a wonderful Japanese grocery store near me that carries all sorts of fine Japanese spirits. So grab myself this bottle just for today because we are talking AFC West in particular Predicting the AFC West, where we will finally, after all of these days talking up all four teams, determine a winner of arguably the best division in the entire league. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Long, long time. And uh, to be honest, up until about five minutes before we recorded, I still wasn't sure who I was going to choose. So we'll get to that probably at the very end of the episode. But before we do, EJ, buddy, how you doing? What are you drinking tonight? I was looking forward to it or have been looking forward to it for a long time as well. And then as we started getting closer to it, I started dreading it because it's an impossible choice. You got giant monsters and giant robots or, or maybe both in each camp. And calling a winner in this thing is I think we should just call the NFL fans the winner. If that's my early cop out, I will pick a winner at the end of the episode. But everybody is going to benefit from watching these teams trying to tear each other apart every week because they're so crazy talented. But yeah, as soon as the arms race started and everybody was like, we'll sign a pass rusher and we'll take the top receiver in the league and we'll just add the, Oh, we need a quarterback. Yeah. We're gonna, And everybody just poured all that stuff in. And then people realized, Oh crap, that's all in the same division. The AFC West has been our focus since then. And I think we'll be everybody's focus throughout the year. Before we can get to all of the macro changes, again, this is the macro episode. If you want detailed breakdowns of each individual team, what they've done this offseason, you can go back and watch everything we've done this week. We're doing an hour plus in every individual team. Before we get to you know all the, the predictions and the macro stuff, we do have to recap 2021. Uh, it was a interesting 2021, I should say, in the AFC West because it started out super backwards and then ended up kind of being normal by the end, even with all the odds stacked against it being a normal AFC West halfway through the year, the Chiefs were rough. <laughs> I mean, they were they were really rough to start out. Uh, they fell behind, the Raiders jumped out to a lead, and then the Raiders kind of fell apart halfway through the year and then came back towards the end of the year and made a surge. You know, the Chiefs, second half Chiefs were night and day different than first half Chiefs. The Chargers were amazing and then not amazing and then amazing and then not amazing on almost a weekly basis. And then you had the Broncos who were just continuously a thorn in the side of everybody because their defense was so good that they were 
they were not going quietly into the night. I'll say that. Offensively, obviously had a long way to go, and that was their downfall. But they they gave a lot of teams a really tough game, and they actually beat some really tough teams along the way too, like Dallas. So even the worst team in the AFC West was still just slightly below average. In the end, though, obviously Kansas City did rally in the second half of the year, finished 12-5 and after starting off pretty rough. The Raiders also made the playoffs at 10-7. and They knocked the Chargers out in the last week in one of the most improbably wild <laughs> uh, division games that I saw all of last season. That Raiders-Chargers game in Week 18 was, was nuts, and Justin Herbert almost won that game single-handedly, and then, you know, there was the field goal in the end and that, that last drive by Derek Carr. It, it was crazy. I've actually watched that game three times since the end of the season just because of how entertaining it was. So, again, Chiefs won the division. There were two playoff teams, almost three. Going into 2022, it's hard for me to discount any of them as playoff teams, even though I know statistically not all of them will make it. But I really don't know who to leave out. I'm not going to lie. Oddly enough, it is easier for me to predict a division winner than it is for me to predict one of them to outright miss the playoffs because I I can't make a solid argument for any of them to not be a top-tier team in the AFC. It's going to be a wild year because of that fact alone, that if you look at the rosters that have been assembled and the holes that have been filled specifically on each of these teams, predicting any of them to be even a seven or eight win team, which is probably what it'll take to miss the playoffs, is tough. You're basically betting on a massive injury to a quarterback uh, or some other unknown situation to arise that keeps them from winning double-digit games because all of these teams have the talent to roll off at least 10 wins this year. Like you said, statistically, that's not likely going to happen, but it's going to be something I think unexpected that causes that to happen. If everybody quote unquote stays healthy and one of these teams only puts up seven or six wins, that would be one of the most shocking developments of the year right there. And like I said, I can't pick which one is going to be the odd man out. We know one of them will be, but I almost refuse to to draw the wrath of hopeful AFC West fans. I'm not. I'm this not isn't suicidal. the season for that. This is no. when we leave their hope alone, and you know we share it for the most part. It's not that we're leaving it alone or that it's false. Like we're genuinely excited about all four of these teams and their prospects. Like I would say, this is the division that we are most excited about in the entire NFL because. There are no weak teams in this division, and there's a lot of firepower on both sides of the ball. That's the other thing is they're not imbalanced, any of these teams. Like, they all have good offenses or great offenses, potentially, and really good defenses, too. They didn't they didn't skip leg day, right? So it's going to be <laughs> fantastic to watch them go at it because both sides of the ball are strong on all four teams. That's going to make these divisional games must-watch TV. Well, speaking of all that added firepower, why don't we go through notable free agency additions for each team? Again, this is just top-level names. If you want entire breakdowns on who they brought in and who they lost during the free agency period, whether through 
trades or signs or cuts or anything like that, again, go watch the individual episodes. We kind of expand on the free agency strategy for each individual team and how they allocated their cap, all that good stuff. One thing really quick, today's episode is sponsored by Upside. For every purchase you make on gas, groceries, or even dining out, all of which are obviously incredibly expensive these days, Upside will help you earn cash back on those purchases. In particular for me, I go all the way from the ass end of Orange County out to LA at least once a week, and I'm about to be driving even more than that soon because of all the travel to training camps and games that I'm doing. So the cash back on gas in particular is very valuable to me, just like I'm sure it would be valuable to a lot of you as well. On the app, all you have to do is claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside, check in at the business, pay as you normally do with your credit or debit card, and then you get cash back. It's very easy to do, so if you want to try out Upside for yourself just to make your purchases hurt as little as humanly possible these days, you can use promo code BOOTLEG and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Again, that is promo code BOOTLEG for $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of at least $10. Thank you again to Upside for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. Top line additions for every single team. This is just the big names of the arms race. Denver, huge trade for Rosa Wilson. That by itself was probably the biggest move anybody made in the entire division all year long. Maybe one of the biggest moves anybody in the NFL period made all year long. And oh, by the way, they also got Randy Gregory. That in itself is a successful free agency period. The Chargers, not wanting to fall behind here. They brought in Gerald Everett, very athletic tight end, uh, to round out their tight end core. Likely will end up as the starter for them, just kind of looking at who else they have. I, I think Everett's probably the best one they have. Um, Khalil Mack, they traded for from Chicago for a, a second-round pick, right, if I recall correctly. They gave a second for him. Um, he's going to be pairing up with Joey Bosa to be possibly the most frightening edge duo in the entire league. JC Jackson, they brought him over for $16.5 million to give them immediately a top-shelf starting corner. And Sebastian, Do Sebastian Joseph Day, excuse me, uh, very underrated interior defensive line piece that knows the system, knows exactly what Brandon Staley wants to do on defense with all of his different fronts and everything like that, and he's very, very good at it. Carved out a very nice career for himself. Uh, Vegas, speaking of monster trades, they brought in Devontae Adams because, unlike me, uh, they are not complete cowards, and they saw all these other moves happening in the division, and they said, fuck you guys, we're the Raiders, we're going to go all in too. So they traded for Devontae and they said, if we can't beat them when they're at their best, it's not worth it. So they're gonna—they're absolutely going for it this year, and they, they certainly still have the talent to do it. And then, just for added measure, Chandler Jones and Bilal Nichols coming over on defense, too. So the Raiders uh, took the challenge and ran with it. And the Chiefs, the top dogs, the reigning champs, uh, they've, they've owned this division for quite a while now. They lost some pieces. Again, we went over the Tyreek Hill trade and the ramifications for not just the Chiefs side of it, but the Dolphins side of it too in those teams' individual episodes. But they used the assets they got from the Tyreek trade, both in terms of picks and cap flexibility, to remake their team and still be a very, very good roster on the free agency side of things. They decided to go a little bit cheap because they don't want to get themselves into cap hell. They want to be able to spend next year. So they brought in Juju Smith-Schuster for cheap and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Uh, not for cheap, but for less than the average price of a starting receiver these days. Thank you, Christian Kirk. 
He's going to be their deep threat. Juju's going to be, at this point, maybe the number two to Sky Moore. If, if early camp reports are to believed, be believed, I should say. Uh, and then their one big signing on defense was Justin Reed, one of the more underrated young safeties in the entire league. He's going to be a key piece for them, too. I would say most of the, the biggest investments, though, that Casey has made to get their roster back to championship form, or rather maintaining championship form, were in the draft. We'll go over that in a little bit. But again, looking at the, the top-level view of this arms race, Denver, Chargers, Raiders, Chiefs, which one for you made the biggest difference and will get that team over the hump? <laughs> You're asking me to pick winners early. Uh, <laughs> I would say Russell Wilson filled the biggest hole. We've been saying for two years that the Broncos needed a quarterback. They not only got a quarterback, they got one of the top five quarterbacks in the league if you're talking about the height of his powers and someone that can absolutely put them over the hump. But every team did something, right? You can say, oh, it, you could make an argument for what any of these teams did. Maybe Casey, not so much in free agency because they're definitely weighted more to the draft, and we'll talk about that in a second. They, they traded away Tyreek and took all those assets and really stacked themselves, restacked themselves via the draft. But in free agency, if you told me Russell Wilson was a pick, Sure, I agree with you. If you told me that Khalil Mack was the difference maker balancing out with Bosa on the other side, come on, Khalil Mack is one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. It's not like a consolation prize. Vegas maybe did it on both sides of the ball. They got the best receiver in the league, and Chandler Jones is, again, one of the best edge players in the league. So they got a, a blue-chip talent on both sides of the ball, not just one. You're talking about a sort of summit or preeminent move of the offseason. Las Vegas says on which side of the ball we have one of each. So any of those three teams, if you're just talking about free agency, could stake a claim and say, we made the biggest trade, right? We got the biggest star. But in Denver, it filled the biggest need. Again, for the Chargers, you already had Bosa. Yeah, you add Mac to him, and that's super dangerous. Vegas had receiving options. Nobody liked Devontae because there is nobody like Devontae, but they already had really good receiving options. He's just excess. Again, it wasn't they had a huge hole. There wasn't anybody at quarterback in Denver that was threatening other teams. There's a lot of players on offense waiting for somebody to pull that trigger with efficiency. So in my mind, Russell Wilson sort of completes that puzzle in a way that the other players don't, not that they're not necessarily better players at their respective positions. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Devontae is. He's the number one wide receiver without argument in the league. Russell Wilson is not the number one quarterback in the league, but he's so far better than what Denver had at that position that it does really change the outlook of that entire team for the whole season. The overall uh, theme that I got from free agency period in this little arms race is every single team in the AFC West was thinking two things. One, we need to score 28 points. 
just to get in the ballpark of what Mahomes is going to score. And B, once we get to 28 points, we need dudes that can get Pat on the ground. Khalil Mack, Randy Gregory, Chandler Jones. We need to be able to hit him and keep him at 27 while our guys get to 28 and just maybe we can survive the Chiefs. That is how I'm seeing everybody build their teams in the AFC West because they know that Mahomes is a top two quarterback in the league, inarguably. Whoever else you want to put up in that top two with him, fine, you can do that. But if you get past two and Mahomes hasn't had his name said, we're going to have a problem. He's a top two quarterback. Not just the division, but the conference revolves around him. You have to build your team to beat him. And I think all of these teams did that. Which is what makes the AFC West so intriguing to me is it's not as one-sided as it was last year where it's like Vic Fangio's defense is doing all the heavy lifting and you hope that whoever's playing quarterback for the Broncos just doesn't fuck it up. Now it's, okay, Russell Wilson's going to put up some points. The defense is still largely the same. Arguably might be even better because you got Randy Gregory now. So it's not a, a one-sided, you know, just Mahomes versus Fangio now it's every dimension of both of these teams is a factor again so it just makes these games a more interesting but also infinitely harder to predict because they're so uh, they're not asymmetrical anymore so you can just kind of see the DNA here of how they were building in free agency it was all about outscoring Mahomes and then hitting Mahomes and I would say the draft to a degree was a similar kind of theme. It was either about amassing weapons or protection so that you could get to that 30 point threshold. And then it's just pass rusher, pass rusher, pass rusher. Uh, it, it's this division clearly wants to make a point, which is that they are tired of being bullied by that man over in Kansas city. And they want it to end. Here comes that bad man again. What can we do <laughs> to stop him? And the, the game that sent shockwaves through the NFL last year was Mahomes versus Josh Allen. Every GM in the league looked at that game and went, oh, my God. Like, that's what they can bring? What can my team do against that? How how can we amass anything that holds up to that? And the answer is, for the most part, you can't. But if you're going to take your shot, uh, whereas free agency was all about sort of tit for tat when one dropped, the other one dropped, and they, oh, you're going to do that? Fine, I'm going to do this. The draft was a little more varied. The draft filled in the holes based on them all having to do that. So while it looked a little more similar in free agency, there's a little more variance in the draft. Denver on offense got Greg Dulcich, big tight end. Uh, they had to replace Noah Fant, who left in the trade for Russell Wilson on defense. <laughs> keep stacking them, right? Let's get some pass rushers. Nick Benito, then they got Damari Mathis, the safety star nickel from Pittsburgh, who we both really like. Yomio Uzurike, a big Akeem Hicks clone for that, like you said, still largely Fangio-type base defense. And Matt Henningsen, another body to rotate through who can create interior pass rush. Again, how can we get that bad man in KC on the ground? Uh, the Chargers... Offense, they went with Zion Johnson, very talented protection for Justin Herbert on the inside. Doesn't matter whether he's going to play center or guard. He'd be great at either. And then Isaiah Spiller, big hammer back with some speed out of Texas A&M to give them one more option. They already have Eckler, but Spiller's a bit of a different flavor, so they can just keep coming at you in waves. On defense, JT Woods, got to mention him. Safety out of Baylor, 
is listed as the third safety and will play in the three safety packages, but great speed, able to play a single high, cover a ton of ground. Remember JT Woods' name. He's going to be making an impact sooner rather than later. And then an absolute tree stump out of UCLA, Otito Obonia, the end, the nose tackle from the Bruins to just take up space and make sure that the Chargers don't have a repeat performance from last year where there are large gaps in the middle of their defense and they just have to watch folks run wild through there. As for the Raiders on offense, they get Dylan Parham. Very talented interior guard center out of Memphis. Somebody that's going to help keep Carr upright for them. On defense, two tree stumps. One's not good enough. They went after Neil Farrell Jr., the nose tackle out of LSU, and Matthew Butler, the really talented and athletic defensive tackle out of Tennessee. So, again, stop the run. Make sure they control that interior line of defense. Not let anybody through. And then, yeah, let's go score some points because we got to catch up with that bad man in KC. And then KC cleaned house during the draft. They oh, they, yeah. <laughs> they cleaned up. This is an amazing draft. One of the best drafts in the entire league. They took all those picks from the Tyreek trade, plus all their picks, and just nailed hit after hit after hit. On offense, they got Sky Moore and Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, Pacheco is a running back from Rutgers who has had a couple of runs with the first team. I realize it's just training camp, but that's a pretty amazing acceleration for a guy picked down low that didn't have a huge profile we saw him at the shrine bowl sky Moore, one of the top receivers western michigan in this draft who has looked the part against all the vets and is running with the ones in kc and probably will never leave that position they had mm-hmm. some hole at wide receiver they used the draft to fill it sky Moore is in addition to who we already talked about in free agency a name you're going to see getting a lot of production because he gets open he plays at 100 miles an hour and Mahomes is going to love him to death is already starting to create that rapport that you're going to see during key situations on defense big breath lots of names (laughs) Trent McDuffie George Karlaftis Brian Cook Leo Chanel and Joshua Williams all contributors came in this draft so Trent McDuffie I think he's the best as a nickel, came out of Washington as a corner, is an absolute haymaker around the line of scrimmage. George Karlaftis, very talented edge rusher out of Purdue, physically gifted, and every practice so far in training camp has been hanging out with the vets, hanging out with Frank Clark, going, show me a move, just working bag drills, going for the extra technique, because he has every raw tool you could want in terms of height, weight, speed, power. It's all there. He's just, he's going to start and he's going to make an impact. Brian Cook, hammer as a safety out of Cincinnati. Covers ground. Really, really talented player. Again, they needed to make up for some losses they had. Leo Chanel, we're not really sure where he's going to play. I think he's going to be more of an outside linebacker. You want to see him as a middle linebacker so he can occupy the center's every waking nightmare. Uh, (laughs) Yes. And then Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State. Very big corner who's, again, getting runs with the ones and the twos so far in training camp, doing things like, oh, I don't know, frustrating Travis Kelsey on receptions as a rookie. Yeah, he's really benefited from, uh, I think it's Rashad Fenton who's been hurt. So he's took over for Fenton's reps with the ones. And I'm, I'm starting to wonder if Fenton's not getting that job back. He's been really impressive. He looks like the game is not too big or too fast for him and as a rookie in your first camp those are both great signs but if you look at casey's draft mostly the draft classes we talked about three maybe four players there were two on offense five on defense that are going to all play contributing roles some of them leading roles like sky Moore. 
KC took all the picks and did good, good things with them. If you're a KC fan, if you're a you know fan of the rest of the AFC West, you're like, damn it, because that's a lot of talent to line up against. But given all that, I want to talk about, <laughs> now that we've talked about both free agency and the draft, I want to talk about the edge rushing pairs in this division. Oh, they're and they nasty. are nightmarish. So Chargers took care of it with Khalil Mack, put him opposite Joey Bosa. Bosa and Mack, arguably two of the top eight edge rushers in the league play on the That's same team. That's about as far as I would go, yeah. yeah. Yeah, ballpark. Randy Gregory goes with Chubb in Denver. Yikes, I don't want to play against that on a weekly basis either. In Vegas, they have Max Crosby one of the best edge rushers in the league last year. I think the second best edge rusher in the league, probably behind TJ Watt, but right up there in the conversation for top three overall in terms of production. And they add Chandler Jones, a guy who's been doing it for almost a decade at a really, really high level. Look out. Like that's not a pairing I want to see on a weekly basis either. And then you go to KC and you've got Carl Aftis on one side and uh, you know Frank Clark on the other side. With Chris Jones in the middle, Derek Nandi, Carlos Dunlap. Yeah, Carlos Dunlap coming in in rotation as the third guy. That's the other thing is most of these teams, well, Denver's got Nick Benito we talked about in the draft. Most of these teams have guys. It's not just those two where they put all their money in and then it's a bunch of nobodies behind them. But if you look at, like, in terms of premier elite edge rushers in the league, how many of them are in this division? you got to say Crosby. you got to say Bosa. you got to say Mack. Uh, Nick Chubb, when healthy, I think is going to be right there. Randy Gregory, again, when healthy, is top 15. Chandler Jones is probably I'm, top I'm about 10. to walk out if you don't mention John Cooper at some point in the next 10 seconds. I know uh, he's a seventh rounder from last year, but that's my guy. Uh, it's your guy, and he comes in waves. <laughs> he goes in the Benito category for me as, look out, he's underrated, and he's going to come in, and somebody's going to go, oh, I get a breath, and no, you don't. He's going to take your lunch money. But if you just talk about the amassing of edge talent that occurred in this division to go with what was already there, the Crosbys and the Bosas, it's stunning. Like offensive coordinators that come in from the outside to play games in this division are just going to be like, come on, really? I think it's a perfect representation of pass rushers will invariably end up where the quarterbacks are because all the defensive coaches in that division will be like, look, I can't stop him with one hand tied behind my back. Give me something. And I think pass rushers will always follow elite quarterbacks, eventually, in free agency. Like Same thing in the AFC North. Watt, Garrett, Hendrickson's been really good for Cincy. Baltimore's always got, I don't know, like four of them. You know, they, they come at you in waves. It's, it's a trend that has held true in the NFL for a lot of years now. And I think the AFC West right now is possibly the best representation of that I've ever seen. If every single team is going to be putting up 28 to 30 points a game, you can't survive without top-tier edge rushers. And they're all spending as much money and picks as humanly possible to get as many of them as humanly possible. It is what it is. Um, now, storylines or elevator speeches, top narratives for each individual team, again, however you want to phrase it. We'll go team by team, uh, reverse order this time. This is kind of the one narrative through line that we're looking for each team this year. Kansas City. King still wears the crown, as far as I'm concerned. They went 12-5 and last year, despite starting 
nowhere near what a 12 and five team is supposed to look like, but they rallied, they got their shit together and then they looked like Kansas city and they steamrolled everybody until they got to the AFC championship game. How much of a gap is there between the chiefs as they are now, after all the changes that happened this off season, how much of a gap is there between them and the rest of the division? Or is there even a gap between them and the rest of the division? That in itself might be its own question. The gap is narrowed. There's no doubt. We just spent 25 minutes talking about all the moves to narrow that gap because the rest of the teams in this division had a choice. They could have rolled over and said, we're looking for a high pick. We're not going to try and compete. People call that tanking. People call that, you know, not signing up to your cap, whatever it is. Or screw that. All chips in the middle of the table. We think we can take them. Let's go. And all the other three teams went screw that we think we can take them let's go and so the gap has narrowed but you're gonna ask me to bet against patrick mahomes i'm not gonna do it like i'm just when mahomes and burrow play against each other again that's it (laughs) that's the one right those are the two guys that i'm like no like it's kind of like betting against brady in a must win game after a bye week like, would you do it only if you're stupid? Like, no, he's proved that how many times throughout his career. But right now, for young quarterbacks in the league, I've said it lots of times on this podcast, Joe Burrow is an absolute killer, and he has what he needs to be there. And as long as he's upright, which Cincinnati's made great strides in keeping him upright, I'm not going to bet against him. And Mahomes is the same way. You're like, oh, they took away Tyreek. I don't care. He still has Kelsey. He's got one of the best lines in the NFL. Young guys that are at the top of their profession already. They brought in a bunch of receivers that are different than Tyreek Hill, but not bad, and they seem to be off to a roaring start in terms of chemistry. And Mahomes is Mahomes. I'm not going to bet against that guy. Every year that he has played in this league, he's been to the championship game. Like, that says a lot right there. He just keeps doing it. You want me to go, oh, this is the year that he just decides to take a year off. No. No. <laughs> he is going to do what he did in that game against Josh Allen, which is throw down and have some fun playing football and make it look easy to throw up 40 points. And it's not an easy thing in the NFL to do. He does it all the time. So not betting against Mahomes. All right. One narrative through line for the Raiders. Do Devontae and McDaniels add that extra little sauce to put an already pretty high-octane offense over the top? As a bonus question, how much havoc are Crosby and Chandler Jones going to cause, and are they the best edge rusher duo in the division? We talked about all of them. Are they the best out of all four pairs? Devontae and McDaniels. Devontae is going to add something we know anywhere he goes he's going to he's still going to be the best receiver in the league and he's already got a pre-made connection with the quarterback there is no getting up to speed with you know one of his best friends in life and his college quarterback they already know each other and they've both gotten better as pros so is that going to add something to waller and renfro and you know josh jacobs and you know all the people that they already had yes it is McDaniels, it'll be fascinating to see how quickly he aligns to having a very much different set of personnel than he did in New England for all those years. 
As far as Crosby and Chandler Jones, I think they're going into the season with a chip on their shoulder saying probably we are the best duo, maybe in the whole NFL. Now, you don't have to believe that, but you can bet your ass that they believe it. And Crosby is, even though he got paid, is still playing. You know, we saw it in all the lists that came out this offseason. A bunch of them didn't even have Crosby in the top 10. I'm Which like, is stupid. What? It's just stupid. There's I'm sorry. no way to justify that. None yeah. whatsoever. And Crosby sees all that stuff. He understands. And he's like, oh, yeah. So he's going to come out super motivated. Chandler Jones doesn't seem to need any motivation. He just does it year after year. doesn't matter what team he's on. He is a threat. And he is constantly undervalued. He's not super loud. He doesn't you know, beat his chest about it. He just goes out there and puts up pressures, puts up numbers. So they're going to come in thinking that they're not only the best duo in the division, they're the best duo in the league. If Khalil Mack is fully healthy and Bosa stays healthy, I think that's your best set of edge rushers in the division. It's very hard for me to look at Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack and say they're not on top. Now, Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Do I think Crosby and Chandler Jones are going to give them a serious run for their money and we might have a different opinion at the end of the year? I would not be surprised by that at all. But just looking at it right off, if Mac's not all dinged up, he's been dinged up for better parts of the last two years in Chicago. If he comes in fully healthy i don't know if you saw it today but there was a video from chargers training camp oh, him and slater and yeah dog walked rich on slater <laughs> like yeah. dog walked him and that's that is a really good young tackle i would say a top 10 young tackle in the nfl and he got run like make no mistake it was not a fair fight like he got run khalil mack just pushed him back like seven yards and then stopped pushing and so. that's why for me, like, I I love Crosby. He's one of the best mm-hmm. in the game. And I still love Chandler. Like, 35-inch arms are 35-inch arms. I know he doesn't have the same burst he used to. Mm-mm. That length and power combined with his experience, that's tough to handle. But a healthy Khalil Mack is a freight train. Yeah. And a healthy Joey Bosa, who has been more durable than Mac over the last couple of years, but still has been dinged up it's here time. and there. When both of them are at least 80% and on the field together, you're fucked. Like, straight up. Third and nine, I you're done. Sorry. You better just keep seven in protection and hope somebody busts on the back end. Because <laughs> if you got to do a seven-step drop on third and very long with those two coming at you... Nope. And, and even if you're in a six-man protection, not even five, you lose. You just do. Like, that is not just the best in the division. For me, that's the best in the league, health-permitting, which is a rather large asterisk, I know, but it's Khalil Mack, Hall of Fame talent. It's Joey Bosa, who's on a Hall of Fame track himself. There's just nothing better than that to me. 
So I hope they stay healthy, uh, and I can't wait to see them live because that – I almost feel like that's what I was hoping I was going to get um, early on. It was like 2014, 2015 when – remember when we had like J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless in his prime, J- young Jadavian Clowney when he barely got – we were like, oh, my God, all three of them together. Like I can't wait. I and then they played like single-digit games together because one of them was always hurt or multiple of them were always hurt. I hope that this is going to be what I hoped Watt, Merciless, and Clowney was going to be in the fact that two ridiculous talents together, but actually on the field together. I feel like this could be historically special. Not to hype it up too much, but it is. Like, these guys are that good. We keep uh, now, saying that about the, the Chargers defense. We keep saying if they stay healthy and stay on the field, and it's everybody. It's it's not just Macaboza, but Derwin James, and like just please, please, please leave them all on the field. But we never we never get to see it. We never get to I see know. them all healthy together. And, and every I, year we're we're just hoping I, that this is the one. I want to break that streak just like you do because if you look at that defense specifically on paper. Please, please, please let them all play together a bunch because they could they could wreck a bunch of games all by themselves. Speaking of the Chargers, by the way, here's their one narrative through line for the year. Might be the most talented team in the division. I think that is not an arguable point. They have top-tier talent in pretty much every single position group on the entire team. But notoriously inconsistent. Even when they, on paper, have more talent than virtually everybody they're playing against. Can they fire on all cylinders all year, not just every other week, (laughs) and win the division? And does Staley turn enough of those coin flip losses, of which there were multiple, because, oh, maybe a fourth down try failed, or, you know, maybe they didn't get a good call, or maybe just, you know, the run defense let them down because they were averaging 130 yards given up a game and they just couldn't get anybody off the field. And they lost some nail biters. Can Staley get this team to be more consistent and stop losing to teams that they, on paper, should utterly destroy? If they're going to win the division, he has to. That's that's the key, is he has to take what is a ridiculously talented roster that Tom Telesco has put together. If you look at just on-paper talent, like, Denver's close. Casey's maybe. Casey's almost that. there. It's just they have a lot of young guys that yeah, are kind of maybes, they, you know? We could say, yeah, I completely agree with that, Bent, that at the end of this year we might say, hey, they're, they're. But if you're just looking at the rosters on paper preseason, it's the Chargers, like the Broncos, just a hair behind because, again, they have talent at all levels, at all the positions, then, you know. Yeah. Raiders and then Casey, young guys, but it's hard to say Casey's got the fourth best roster in this division might be true, but maybe tied for third if you want to do that. But like on paper, the Chargers have more talent all the way through the roster, but they don't win more games. They need to, and it's going to be those games of inches, those games of, hey, we got a bad call, but we say teams need to learn how to win. The Chargers know how to win, but they need to learn how to win all the time. They need to get that Tom Brady gene that says, nope, not letting you lose today. It's not happening. Like, we're all going to pull together. Somebody's going to make a play. We're going to be the one standing at the end. We're not going to be three points short. 
and they don't have that yet and i really feel like this is the high level tinkering i mean in terms of scheme and technique and developing young players i feel like staley's there he needs to be that ceo head coach that bringer together of everybody on the team offense defense and special teams and say no this is ours nobody gets to take it from us we don't lose games at home we don't lose games in december we find a way to win those games and if they do the chargers are gonna be really tough to stop because they do have playmakers at every level on on both sides of the ball they've all got to do it at the same time and pull together and that really feels like kind of the head coach's job for the chargers you cannot in a four-week period lose to the texans and also lose to teddy bridgewater when bridgewater throws for less than 130 yards you can't do it you can't do it you can they, <laughs> you can but you really don't want to and, yeah. and i think if they just win one of those games yeah then that week 18 matchup that they ultimately lost to the Raiders and got knocked out of the playoffs, that game wouldn't matter. They'd be in. And once Justin Herbert's into January, like, who knows? Anything could happen from there. But that loss to the Texans and that crucial loss to the Broncos, you know, by for on Thanksgiving week, I think it was, that might have not just cost him a playoff spot. That might have cost him a legitimate Super Bowl run because Herbert was so hot towards the end of the year that all bets are off at that point. But they just got to get there. <laughs> they just yeah. got to get there. And this division's not going to do them any favors on that point. Like, yeah. just getting there in this division, you're going to come through black and blue anyways. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. If you get a hot Justin Herbert into the playoffs, like, nobody nobody on the money line is going to want to touch him. That's going to be the third rail. Everybody's just going to be like, nope, nope. Not, not saying he's not going to because have you seen what he can do? Yeah, how many fourth down passes in a row he was hitting against Vegas just to will them to even be within striking distance. I mean, dude's just insane. Yeah. Uh, now, speaking of Denver, final narrative through line for them for this year. Will the Russell Wilson and Hackett marriage be a smooth one that roars out of the gate? And by that, I mean, does Hackett immediately conform his offense to what Russell does well and doesn't try to fit a square peg into a round hole? <laughs> Oh boy. Or will they try to force it early and then go through the same song and dance that every single offensive coordinator in Seattle went through for the last 10 years, which is around mid to late October. They figure out what Russell likes and what Russell doesn't like, and they quit doing the shit Russell doesn't like, and they start doing the stuff Russell does like, and magically the offense gets better. Are we just going to skip that part and have Russell be good in the beginning this year? I want that badly, as do all Broncos fans with everything that was put into this trade. And it did cost a lot because it is going to cost to get a quarterback in their prime. And Russell's not past his prime yet. So they they invested a lot, and they changed from a defensive head coach to an offensive head coach. There is a lot riding on this particular relationship, which is why I put it as the primary storyline. It's between Wilson and Hackett and how quickly and how well that works, especially in this division. Because if you stumble or stutter out of the gate, I don't really care how hot you get at the end of the year. Yes, KC got away with it because the whole team turned course and they had Patrick Mahomes last year. 
I don't quite think Russell can do what Pat can do at this stage of his career. It's a tick below that, and they're not going to be able to afford to toss early games and then say, oh, well, we'll catch up at the end of the year. I mean, none of these guys can run really fast. Baloney, it's Herbert and Mahomes and Carr with Devontae Adams. Like, you're not going to be making up a ton of ground. So you're going to have to start fast. Everybody in Denver wants it to happen. Everybody that's looked at the Broncos for a couple of years and says, man, they have so much talent. If they just had a quarterback they could throw, look where they'd be. Well, they got one, but they are going to have to do exactly what you said, which is not get in Russell's way for a bit and let him have his, let him have his leash, right? Let him off his leash. Let Russ cook and just let him do it sooner. One can only hope, EJ. One can only hope. <laughs> or two. All right, two Final, of us can uh, Two of us can only yeah. hope. <laughs> Final segment here, division predictions. Segment that everybody's been waiting for. Mm. This is where we're going to be going through the individual player awards and then finally picking a division winner out of all this mess. Uh, division MVP. You would think that there would be agreement here. There is not. EJ already alluded to it earlier. He's never going to bet against Mahomes, so he's got Mahomes as MVP, which is probably the sensible thing to do. But for me, looking at what Justin Herbert was doing in the back half of last year, it's it's rare air. I mean, really, really rare air. He was making throws that not just an MVP of the division, but an MVP of the league has to make. And I just keep going back to those those fourth down throws when the team really needed it. And he, he absolutely put them on his back just to even be in position to win that game and maybe go to the playoffs. They get blown out mercilessly if he's not on that team. And they get blown out regularly if he's not on that team. Because all of the inconsistencies that we've talked about with the Chargers – you know, the, the, the fourth down calls that don't go their way and the run defense that's bad and all of the times that they just charger it up. He's one of the only quarterbacks that I think you can put on that roster to counter the bad juju that that franchise has seemingly always had. And he gives them a chance every single week, which, again, by charger standards, is a miracle because for so much of their franchise history... We've just always wondered how they're going to charge her it up. And I don't think that way anymore. I really don't. I go into every single game thinking that the Chargers, if they have a 10-point lead, that Justin Herbert can maintain it. I really do. And I love Phillip Rivers. He's amazing. I almost had the opposite feeling sometimes when Rivers was the quarterback where I'm like, Somehow, this is going to end up with the Chargers being down by four, and they're going to get the ball with two and a half minutes, and Phil's going to make a drive, and then he's going to throw a pick. And so many Chargers fans listening to this right now remember vividly that happening, not just once, but ten times, because that's just what the Chargers did. Not anymore. Not with that kid at quarterback. Like, when he's on you, he will finish you. And I, I think that it's a new era of Chargers football because of how incredible he is and how good he is at keeping this team that can't get out of its own way in games. He's different. So he's my pick for MVP. He is different. And the Chargers started to get away from that habit last year. They still did it some. We alluded to it. They were still up and down, but it was not as much. Right. It was not a given. (laughs) And we were looking for that 
uh, in Staley's first year. Is he going to be able to change that inertia, which feels kind of inevitable with the Chargers? It was either going to be injuries or it was going to be inconsistent play or it was going to be pushed right up and they're in it and then they lose it in heartbreaking fashion. That was the norm, and it is hard to turn a franchise away from losing when they've gotten used to it. Herbert, uh, my favorite argument against QB wins other than they're stupid is the people that don't like Justin Herbert because the Chargers didn't go to the playoffs. (laughs) And I'm like, just tell me you didn't watch the games without telling me you didn't watch the games. If you think Justin Herbert is bad, you're wrong. Justin Herbert is amazing. He is alien-like. He can do things that no other quarterbacks in this league can do, and I include Josh Allen and Mahomes in that. He is capable of heights that are right there. Like the one person that the, I said all GMs watched that game between Mahomes and Allen and went, oh, my God, what can I do? Tom Telesco maybe watched that game and went, I just got to surround Justin. I already got the guy. I just got to surround Justin with better talent because he can do that stuff. He can He's do the only that GM stuff. that watched that game was like, oh, is that all? You know, he's the only one. (laughs) I don't know if he said is that all, but he said, I got the guy that can match that at quarterback. I have a super weapon just like those super weapons, whereas all the other GMs went, well, we don't have that, so what else can we do? So I would not be surprised if Herbert continues to ascend. We talk about progress not being linear. I think Justin Herbert's will continue, but the Chargers' progress into, as you so aptly put it, not chargering, has to be linear. They have to continue that momentum they started last year and build on it. They can't falter and go back to old habits. Everyone has moments in life they just can't stop thinking about. Like that one time in middle school when you called your teacher mom. Yeah, that's not leaving your brain anytime soon. Or something amazing like the first time you really traveled and got to see how big and beautiful the world is. And on Baby This Is Kiki Palmer, hosted by me, Kiki Palmer, and presented by BMW, we know to savor the good memories and let go of the bad. And one thing everyone remembers fondly is their first time behind the wheel of a BMW. So come join me and BMW this summer as we explore pop culture moments and topics you just can't stop thinking about on Baby, This is Kiki Palmer, sponsored by BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Because at that point, Justin Herbert's just, you know, beating on the outside walls of the castle. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. If the rest of the team comes with him and they do start to be able to overcome those little types of adversity and turn those losses into wins, then they're going to go with Justin Herbert, who's going to continue to ascend no matter what, because he is just that talented. Now, Offensive Player of the Year, you and I kind of have like an unwritten rule where we just kind of avoid the quarterback position for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, So realistically speaking, yeah, I would have put Patrick Mahomes if I was including quarterbacks in this. And you probably would have put Justin Herbert if you were including quarterbacks in this. But we're not. We try to diversify here on the Bootleg Football Podcast. So uh, we both went with top-tier receivers. I went with Devontae Adams for obvious reasons. Best receiver in the league playing with a quarterback who knows him well. They don't really have to work on chemistry because they've had chemistry since before Devontae even had chemistry with Aaron. So I think he's going to pick up right where he left off in Green Bay and still be that dude. You are picking up where you left off in uh, in terms of a pre-draft evaluation that has held true to this day. He has been a monster when healthy since he got in the league. And now that he has a quote-unquote real quarterback, we might finally see the Cortland Sutton that you 
were hoped that, that the NFL was going to be getting all those years ago when he got drafted. Yeah, we just swapped here. I took the chalk at quarterback, and you took the sort of more dark horse candidate or rising star candidate. You, we swapped for receiver. You took chalk, best receiver in the NFL, going back to his best friend and college quarterback. Like, yeah, that's that's chalk. I took the more outside-the-box pick. This is my reach pick, Cortland Sutton. It's not a reach to think Cortland Sutton could achieve this. It is when you're looking at all the other offensive talent in in the division. I not only picked Cortland Sutton because he's a great player, I also picked him because of what Russ likes. Mm-hmm. Russ likes to throw outside the numbers. That's where Cortland Sutton plays, is good, and can produce one-on-one. He will score touchdowns and get yards. He's even done it with much inferior quarterbacking in Denver. Now he has a guy that is a superior quarterback, has plenty of experience throwing to big fast guys on the outside, and likes to throw outside way more than he does in between the numbers. And I think he's going to get fed a little more. I think Devontae mm-hmm. is going to get fed. But look, if Waller's healthy, you don't avoid him. Like you said, Renfro is an absolute killer in the red zone. Almost uncoverable. So I feel like those targets are going to get spread a little bit more, and Carr is a guy who will spread the ball around. He will throw to Waller between the numbers, right? So you're going to get a little bit more, and I mean, I'm talking a a hair, like 3 to 5% more diversification, even though you have a number one alpha that we both agree is the best receiver in the league outside. So Adams is still going to get his touches, but I think Cortland Sutton might get a few more because he is the big alpha, and Russell Wilson really prefers to throw outside. Uh, all right, defense player of the year. Uh, you and I differed a little bit on this one, but it's it's kind of hard to go wrong just because there's so much edge talent in this division. I went with Max Crosby, one of the most ultra-productive rushers at any position or any archetype in the entire league. Had an absurd amount of pressures last year. One of the most, or one of the highest pressure counts, I should say, in the last 15 years like it's hard to get over 100 pressures yep. it's really hard to get over 100 pressures and he did it Joey Bosa meanwhile has a longer track record than Crosby pretty much ever since he came into the league he's been a a, a constant threat that if you leave him one-on-one he's gonna win and so I think it's uh it's a conversation between the consistency of Joey Bosa where we know year in year out what we're getting Versus the potential ceiling of Max Crosby, which, at least going off what he did last year, could be the most productive pass rusher in the entire NFL, not just in the division. And I think this one rests on a conversation we had earlier about edge rushers. If Khalil Max stays healthy, Joey Bosa has every chance to win this because then you've got to leave him one-on-one occasionally. And if you leave Joey Bosa one-on-one, he's likely going to win it. And you're going to have to because if you have a healthy Khalil Mack on the other side, that's great. Same thing with Chandler Jones. If Chandler Jones stays healthy, has good rushes in him, and is occupying a lot of attention, which smart offense coordinators are not going to leave Chandler Jones one-on-one, you've got to leave Max Crosby one-on-one occasionally. If you do that, we saw last year, he will beat that, and he will convert a sack, a hit, or a pressure. So it's almost – the other guys discussion right it's like between mac and chandler jones to see who wins it between crosby and bosa now offensive rookie of the year this one we actually agree on for once 
And it's kind of hard to choose anybody else, to be honest, looking at all the candidates, because <laughs> we're recording this like a week into training camp, or I think three days into training camp for the Chiefs. It's, it's after their first padded practice today. Uh, Sky Moore is obliterating everyone, which we we kind of expected, not going to lie, you know, because we had monster grades on Sky Moore. He was one of our uh, favorite receivers for both of us in this entire draft class out of Western Michigan. Had pretty much everything you want other than not being 6'3", but if you look at speed, explosiveness, route running acumen, ball skills, everything, he was awesome. One of the most complete receivers in this class. And then going into a receiving core that had some vacancies, to put it lightly, we kind of expected him to work his way into the into the starting rotation early. I don't think that even you and I, as high as we were on Sky Moore, thought that he would embarrass his own defense pretty much from the first practice on. And I don't think we can choose anyone other than him for Offensive Rookie of the Year, because if he keeps playing like this, we haven't even got to games yet. If he keeps going like this, he is he's going to put up an absolutely ridiculous rookie season. And Mahomes is a guy who will hit him. Mahomes will spread the ball around. He's uh, He famously doesn't have favorites. He will always you know, be willing to throw to Travis Kelsey. But other than that, in the receiving core, he will spread the ball around. And Sky Moore, the only reports we're getting so far out of KC are he's that guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he's that guy. Like, first practice, somebody was like, mm, Sky Moore is that dude. I was like, yeah, it's a little early. We're not even in pads yet. Next day, like, Sky Moore got open against blank, blank, and blank. Okay. Next day, Sky Moore caught touchdowns against blank and blank. Okay. Today, more the same, right? Sky Moore getting wide ass open down the middle. You know, you're like, huh. Okay. So, uh, you know, four days of training camp, four reports, this guy more is torching everybody. All right. Uh, you know, pads are on now. Like, uh, all right. If he keeps it up, you know, if he does the same thing in preseason, expect that he'll just roll right on through the season. And I think he's got best shot at offensive rookie of the year in this division. What's that Maya Angelou quote you told me about before the show started? Uh, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. Yeah, I believe Sky Moore. He showed us who he is. He's yeah, pretty much. If he stays <laughs> healthy and Mahomes already likes him, and that is, you know, it's always the the one hiccup with a rookie receiver. Do you have, you know, maybe they're just a lot different. I suppose anybody coming to play with Pat Mahomes is a lot different than whoever your college quarterback was. But if if he's picking it up and making it look this easy this early uh, he's probably not gonna fall off he's just gonna keep putting up numbers we actually like caleb ellaby too like you know I, the western we're Michigan gonna quarterback talk about him. him in the next episode uh we liked him but he ain't pat mahomes <laughs> he's nope. not pat mahomes nope uh another one we liked uh speaking of chiefs rookies defensive rookie of the year we're in agreement on this one george Karloftis. And at least for me, this is mainly because I think he's going to be in such a great position to get opportunities in terms of all the rookie pass rushers. Like Nick Benito is going to have to compete for snaps with Randy Gregory and and Chubb and all, and really their entire edge rotation. He's going to have to compete for a lot of snaps. Uwe Rike and Henningsen is going to have to compete for a lot of snaps. Matthew Butler, as much as I love him as a third down interior rusher. He might only get 20, 30 snaps a game at absolute max. George Karlaftis is going to start, and he's going to be in pretty much every single third down because looking at the Chiefs' edge rotation, 
other than Frank Clark, I think that Karloftis is probably the best one they've got. You know, in terms of overall pass rusher, yeah, Chris Jones is better than both of them, but that's because it's Chris Jones. But in terms of just pure edge players, their rotation is Frank Clark, Karloftis, Dunlap, Shalik Calhoun. Like, it, it tails off pretty quick here. So Karloftis is going to get a ton of third down opportunities. And he is so powerful and so disciplined with his hand usage. He converts speed to power so well that I think working off of the multitude of collapsed pockets that both Chris Jones and Frank Clark will give him, if he's just, we talked about Khalil Mack running through Slater earlier, if he's just doing that and just converting speed to power like we know he can do and just running through a tackle and collapsing the pocket, inevitably he's going to be in position to just catch so many quarterbacks that are running for their life from Jones and Clark. The amount of cleanup sacks he's going to get is going to be ridiculous. So I think he's going to lead this division among rookies in sacks and look pretty damn good while doing it. Yeah, this is about the position that he plays and the position he's in on the roster that he got drafted to. He is going to start. Most of the other rookies aren't going to start or they play a position like safety or nose tackle. And safeties and nose tackles have a tough road to hoe if they're going to try and win any defensive awards. It's just not a high-profile position stats-wise. You have to have a really exceptional season and a couple of, you know, highlight profile plays where you're, you know, getting a pick six to win a game in overtime and it happens to be on national TV if you're a safety. That's the way you get in that conversation if you're a safety. Nose tackles, even if they do their job, they're probably going to play... 30-ish percent of the time, 35. And there's some really good players that play like safety or interior D-line. As rookies, the other pass rusher that's high-profile, Nick Benito, is stacked behind a couple of the players. He's not slated to start. Carl Aftis is slated to start, and he's really talented, and he plays a high-profile position. That made this one pretty easy for me. Coach of the year. 2022 in the AFC West. Some really good candidates here. We could theoretically wait thing towards wait things towards the new guys and say, okay, if McDaniels comes in and wins the division, he's the obvious winner, and that's true. If Hackett comes in and wins the division, he's the obvious winner. That's absolutely absolutely true as well. At the same time, though, you and I are in agreement that one of the ten greatest head coaches in the history of the sport, at any level, is in this division. It would almost be disrespectful <laughs> for us to give it to anybody other than Andy Reid because he is, this is going to sound odd, I think he's the best coach in Chiefs franchise history, and they have hmm. a lot of great coaches to choose from. Hall of Famers, even. I think if Andy Reid is the best Chiefs head coach of all time and one of the best 10, co 10 head coaches of all time, period. Until he's not in the division, I'm picking him every time. This is kind of a handcuff. A lot of you play fantasy football, most of you probably, and this is a handcuff. If we're going to say Mahomes is the MVP and Casey is the king, we're handcuffing Reed as the coach, right? We're going to say until somebody knocks off the Chiefs, it's... Andy Reid. Now, if I had to pick a dark horse or a second after Reid, I might pick Staley because if he fixes the Chargers charging 
for lack of a better word, and gets them into the playoffs and Herbert goes on a run, he's going to get a bunch of votes, right? Even if he doesn't win the division. If he wins close games and puts them in a better position to win and, and Herbert starts to make a run in the postseason, because of that, Staley's going to get votes. And I think that may happen. I really like Brandon Staley as a young, ascending head coach. Andy Reid has done it, has been doing it for a long time. We talked about it in the Chiefs episode that he's quickly approaching as many years in KC as he had for the Eagles, which seems really odd, but it's true. And arguably he's had more success in the same amount of time in KC. So until you can show me different, Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs run this division. And I want to head people off at the pass who are in the comments right now saying, how could you possibly say that Hank Stram is second to Andy Reid? Hank Stram was there for 12 years. You know how many times he won the division? Three. Andy Reid, in terms of not just being on top, but staying on top. And this is all respect to Hank Stram. He's one of the best ever. Andy Reid took the reins in this division almost from the moment he got there and hasn't let go. He is not just the best in Chiefs franchise history. He's one of the best ever. And as long as he and Mahomes are together, it's tough for me. This is a little transition into our final pick of division winner. It's tough for me to choose any other division winner than the Kansas City Chiefs because they have the GOAT in Andy Reid. Go to this franchise, I should say, in Andy Reid. They have Pat Mahomes, the young GOAT, chasing Brady already five years into his career and is on a decent track to at least somewhat get close. As long as those two are there and they're replenishing talent with young, exciting weapons like Sky Moore and getting incredibly talented edge rushers like George Karloftis and you already got Chris Jones and you got a great offensive line and you know you got a, a running back group that we're actually pretty excited about and you have one of the five greatest tight ends to ever put on pads and Travis Kelsey and you've got you know a secondary with some young guys that we're pretty excited with uh with Josh Williams and McDuffie and you still got Justin Reed and Don Thornhill still still there by the way <laughs> when Juan Thornhill is your fifth best DB I think you're doing something right We've talked so much about how the Chargers on paper have the best roster and the Broncos, I mean, they have no weaknesses. And the Raiders, oh my God, the Raiders, they have pass rush and Devontae and Carr's great. The Chiefs roster is still tremendous and one of the best in the entire league. And they have a top two quarterback and they have one of the greatest head coaches of all time at any level. As long as they're there, I'm picking Kansas City. You got to beat them before I pick anybody else. And so far, nobody can beat them. That's it. That's the argument is you've got Reed and Mahomes, and they had a couple of holes to fill. They more than filled them and added strength at positions they were already strong in through a great draft. They We talked about this in the Chiefs episode at length. If you want to see that, go check it out. This was the crux move, the choice of Tyreek Hill or a whole bunch of other players for basically the same amount of time. They chose a whole bunch of more other players because they had Patrick Mahomes in large part and thought that he could elevate a receiving core around young guys and Travis Kelsey that's the way they went and they've got this extremely experienced coaching staff that's going to coach guys up on both sides of the ball 
you know, it's not just Reed. It's Bienemy and Spagnuolo and Dave Tobe. And, like, this is a really, really stable, talented team, both on the field, on the sidelines, and in the front office. Yeah, you got to knock them over before I go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you more than a second thought as the best in what is shaping up to be the best division in football. And there you have it. Our pick for the AFC West. I know we teased it all week, and maybe we ended up being exactly where we started. But like you said, until they knock them off, we got to go with Kansas City. Uh, now, next week's division, by the way, for all of you listening that maybe aren't just AFC West fans and you want to learn about the rest of the league, next week's division is no slouch either because the NFC West is equally, and I say this lovingly, equally a clusterfuck. Because there are so many good teams and so many good players and so many intriguing storylines. And the floors and ceilings are kind of all over the place. They're not quite the same as the AFC West. But also at the same time, uh, equally unpredictable. Because there are so many unknown variables at this point. Uh, Remember, we are recording these like two weeks ahead of time. So if anybody that we talked about is already hurt, apologies. Apologies. we are hoping that nobody is getting hurt in camp, but even today, there's been there's been some brutal, pretty brutal injuries on the day we're recording this. Uh, so hopefully those uh, those get minimized and and everything that we're saying now makes sense two weeks from now. But uh, on the off chance that something changes, like oh I don't know Tevin Jenkins getting traded and Riley Reef getting signed, we will record addendums where necessary. But we only got one week to go. NFC West, uh, one of the more fascinating divisions that I think we're going to be talking about in the NFC overall. And I hope you join us for that one. And until then, later. Take care.